Well, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Joshua 4. We're going to be covering the whole chapter this morning, but this is a baptism Sunday. And so we'll be having some baptisms at the end of this service as we're going to be having them at the end of all three services this morning. I love it that baptism Sundays are getting closer and closer together. We've already had people express interest in another baptism class. So if that is you, if you've never uh, had believers baptism and you are a follower of Jesus Christ over the age of 12, go on our website, uh, fill out the uh, information form there, talk to your community group leader, talk to a pastor. We would love uh, to have another baptism Sunday very soon. But last week we started talking about the nation actually crossing over the Jordan River. And Joshua 3 and Joshua 4 kind of are a two-parter where at Joshua 3, they get into the Jordan, and in Joshua 4, we're going to see them come out of the other side, and they're going to take hold of the promise that God has given them by telling them they were going to be able to get the land. And we know, we saw last week, that the previous generation did not have the faith that they needed to believe the Lord's promises, so they did not take hold of it. And now, the next generation, last Sunday, we're on the banks of the Jordan River, and now we're going to find them coming into the promised land, and God actually telling them to set up a monument so that they would always have a reminder of how God worked to bring them through the Jordan River as he had brought the previous generation across the Red Sea on dry ground. Now this generation was crossing over on the Jordan River on dry ground. And you know, the key is that scriptures, the scriptures are filled with reminders of how God worked in order to really serve as monuments for people to have reminders of how God had worked on their behalf. And I truly believe that we also must have really what I like to think of as men mental monuments to how God has worked in our lives that go even beyond the pages of Scripture, which serve as the foundation of our trust. But we must also look at what God has done in our own lives. And I believe this is vital for your discipleship. This is why we go to Scripture to live out the mission of Jesus in our lives. Why we enter into environments to learn all about the moves of God in the past, but also to experience the moves of God in our present so that we can always have these mental markers to remember not only that God can work, but how God has worked on our behalf in real time. Because this is not just for our sake. You're going to see today, this is also for the sake of the next generation so that we will have tales to tell of how God has worked so that we can continue to trust in the promises of God. And so start looking in verse 1 of Joshua 4. The text tells us, it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from every place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? 
Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Number one this morning, you need to understand that remembering the past should build faith for the future. Remembering the past should build faith for the future. And I mean that in two ways. I'm going to talk about those two different ways. The first way, of course, is all the moves of God that have served for your benefit. When you needed provision and God provided it. When you needed material blessing, God has provided it. When you needed salvation through Christ, God provided it. When you needed him to move in discipleship, God moved in discipleship. But I don't just mean it for that which really would seem obvious. I also mean it for that which you would say was a less than pleasant experience. There is a marker that pain can serve in your life to show you the promises of God in ways that without the gospel of Jesus... You would not have it. C.S. Lewis has written that even when pleasure might be filling 90% of your life, if pain is filling 10%, you're going to hear the pain more than you are the pleasure. This is that pain often serves as a megaphone into our lives, drowning out every other reality. But first, I want you to understand that we must remember when God works to our benefit beginning of Joshua 4 presents the amazing event of the nation passing through the Jordan on dry ground. We saw last week that God had parted the waters for the entire population of Israel to pass over. And in this we see God is keeping His promise to give them the land really through the most extraordinary of means. God wants the nation to realize that He is going to do what it takes to give them the promises, but He also wants them to have memory of how He delivered on those promises. So we saw Joshua takes the 12 leaders from the 12 tribes, and they're called to take 12 stones from the riverbed to form a monument so that the nation will remember this day because of what God had done for them. And these aren't just these tiny stones. If you looked at the text, these are stones that they were going to have to carry on their shoulders to actually bring up onto the ground. When you remember, though, how God has moved for your benefit to deliver on His promises, you know what it does? It reinforces your trust. Because if God has moved for your benefit, there's going to come a time again in your life where you are going to question whether or not God's going to do it again. Where you're going to get a sort of spiritual amnesia. Because we're so quick to forget that which God does in our lives. And you're going to need a mental monument to which you can point to and say, God has worked in my life, therefore He will continue to work in my life. God's message to the nation of Israel at this moment is, I'm going to work a miracle to bring you into the land, therefore you can trust that I'm going to give you the land that I have promised to give you. And this was a vital aspect for faith in the nation of Israel. If you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God had told the nation, yes, you're going to receive my promises. I'm going to take the nation into the land. You're going to experience the fruit of the land. You're going to have a great production of fruit that I am going to supply for you. And when you are in the land, when you are experiencing all that the land has to offer you, he says in Deuteronomy 8, you're going to be tempted to forget who gave it to you. You're going to look at your hands and you're going to believe the lie. My hands have provided everything that I've gotten in this land. 
It even tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, he says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. And what's going to be the outfall of that? He says, By not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. He gives a great warning. He says, When you forget the work that God has done in your life, disobedience to the commands of God in your life lie close at hand. First, because of what you put your faith in elsewhere. If you're not trusting in God, it doesn't mean you're not trusting something. When you're not trusting God, it just means you're trusting something other than God. Whether it be the, your own hands, whether it be some other figure in the world, whether it be that you've just taken the worship that God deserves and you've put it in the gift rather than the gift giver. God is saying, you're going to disobey me because you are following after something else to seek what only God can give you. You know, whenever you do that, that's idolatry. That's sin against God. But secondly, it leads to disobeying God's commands in your life. Because, friend, when you aren't focused on how God has and is working in your life, why would you obey Him? If your eyes aren't on Jesus, if you're not saturating your life with the gospel, if you're filling your mind and filling your heart and filling the core of who you are with all sorts of other things, why would you live a life in obedience to God? Because it's only through faith that obedience makes any sense. When you're not seeking after God by faith, you're going to disobey Him because your eyes are elsewhere. But we must also remember, not only when things are going our way, but also when everything seems to be going out of your way. When pain enters your life, you're going to need some mental monuments to faith in Jesus Christ. When suffering enters into your life, when hard times come, when you are tempted to despair of your very life, you need reminders of how God has worked in your life. It's not just the good stuff that gives you spiritual amnesia. Pain is a very loud voice in your life. Pain can lead you to a question whether or not God loves you. Pain can lead you to question whether or not even God exists. Pain can lead you to question whether or not life itself has any significance. And when Israel entered into the promised land, not every day was going to be unicorns and rainbows. There were going to be days where they were going to have to look to that monument and say, even though I'm in pain, God has worked. Therefore, I believe God will work once again. Why do you think the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament, lead us to remember the Gospel, remember the Gospel, remember the Gospel, remember the Gospel? If you note anything that is an implication of the Gospel in Paul's letters, he typically bookends it with the Gospel. Since the Gospel is true, do this. And you did this because the Gospel is true. We are very quick to forget how God has worked. Always live with reminders in your life of what God has done through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when pain enters your life, whether it be because of sin that has happened on your part, or whether it be simply because you live in a world that is cursed by the effects of sin, there is temptation to despair. And you need to remember the works of God in that moment. Because I'll tell you the truth, I've seen it both ways. Pain can either be a reminder to move you to trust in God 
Or it can be a temptation to despair away from God. But use it as a reminder to get close to God. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 reminds us that suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that is ahead of us. What Paul says, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What a bold statement. What an audacious idea that regardless of the depths of the suffering that you are experiencing in this life, and I know that people in this room, you have experienced real suffering. You've experienced suffering on levels that I have not personally experienced. You've experienced loss on levels that I have not personally experienced. And so when you read a text like this, that makes this comparison. Because that's what Paul's doing. He's saying suffering versus the future glory that God is going to reveal. And he says suffering is so much less, it's not even worth comparing. And you say, it doesn't feel that way. Say, it feels like I'm in hell. It feels like the day can't get any darker. It feels like the darkness is never going to lift in my life. But what Paul is saying is, what do you build that comparison on? Is in the moment when God is hardest to see in your life, you build it on the promises that God has made and the evidence of God being faithful to those promises. If You have nothing but the gospel of Jesus. In the darkest moment of your life, you look at it and you say, since God sent His Son to die on the cross for my sin, since Jesus loved me enough to endure deep suffering, since He has risen from the dead, I know God hasn't abandoned me to this. I know God's hand is in this with me. And I know that even if it takes dying to do it, I will see a better day on the other side. Psalm 103 makes the point of remembering how God moved to even redeem you from sin. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like eagles' wings. Note the emphasis on how God's work of saving you from sin should be applied to harmful realities in this life. Those memories of God's redemption in your life can serve as an anchor in hard times where you remember how God walked with you through pain to bring you out on the other side because of His faithfulness through Jesus Christ. It can also be anchored in a memory of God's deliverance from pain, but it is through remembering that we find the faith that we need to move forward in life. Both good and pain serve as reminders that God's plan is always better than our own. But secondly, this morning, you need mental monuments of God's work in your life. You need them. And sometimes my fear for some of you is you don't think that you have them. You don't think that you have anything to look back on and see how God has worked in your life. Look in verse 8. It says, and the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded 
took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they had lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan and the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything had finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded the people. The people passed over in haste, wouldn't you? I'd be like, I know I'm experiencing a miracle, but what if the miracle stops? I better hurry up. Verse 11, And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life." God was gracious to Israel to give them a tangible reminder of how he had worked. The description goes into the specifics that they took the stones, went to where they were lodging. That's where they laid those stones. But then it also tells us in this interesting format that Joshua went into the midst of the sea and it would appear, according to the language, that he set up a monument under the water just in case someone was taking a swim. And they could see where the priests had actually stood when they held the Ark of the Covenant in the midst of the Jordan. But he's doing all of this so that Israel would remember this is how God has worked for you. Friends, God did not have to give them this reminder. Just like God did not have to give them the miracle. God is gracious to instruct in this way. He is gracious to establish tangible ways by which we can know Him. By which we can learn from Him by which we can respond to him, by which we can follow him with real life events to point to, by which we remember the hand of God in our lives. Never forget these realities. Never forget what God has revealed to you in Scripture, first of all. That he has shown you in real history how he has worked if you keep reading the Old Testament, you will come to a place where you see that Israel, on a few different occasions, did something very similar, and they began to call it an Ebenezer. An Ebenezer literally means a stone of help. And these would be raised to remember the places that God had given the nation victory to establish His promises for His people. You know, we don't do this today, not in the same way. But I like to tell people so often, you need mental Ebenezers, those mental monuments, a mental marker in your life to how God has worked in very real ways in your life. Just two weeks ago, I was at the college that I attended, a Christian college, and I walked to the grave of the man that started the school. And I was blessed by God to have been able to spend some time with him while he was alive to learn a few things from that man and that's a mental monument for me. The entire campus serves as a marker for me because God worked in amazing ways in my life while I was there. In ways, quite frankly, I can tell you in my 40s, I didn't appreciate the way that they had happened when they happened. I was too stupid. I was too young. I was too immature. 
God was being so good to me. But when I go there now, I'm not just some random visitor. I stand at that grave and I remember the sermons that were preached. I remember the things that were told to me personally, even some of the jokes. I remember when I walk where my dorm used to be, they tore it down. I think it was condemned. (laughs) It wasn't nice. I walk by there and I remember what God did in my life in that dorm, what He did in my life in those classrooms. I remember the gracious work because I didn't deserve any of it. I didn't deserve a single thing that God taught me while I was there. Even when I drive around Chesterfield County, many of you don't know this, but we've been in four different buildings during the life of our church. Five if you count the house that we started in. But when I see that house, when I see Swift Creek Elementary, when I see Tomahawk Middle School, when I see the little white building on Genito Road, I am reminded, my goodness, the blessings of God that we as a church have experienced over the years. And can I be honest? There were a lot of days where I wasn't confident God was going to bless us. But I look back and I see not just numerical growth. I see lives saved. Marriages restored. Children redeemed and brought back home to mom and dad. People that we prayed over. People that we've loved. People that have gone on and started other churches. People that have gone on to pastor in other areas of the country where their discipleship started in our church. I look even at this building and I see what God has done. I drive by the church that I grew up in and I remember that's the building I was baptized in. That's where God saved my life. That's where I was discipled. That's where I received the call into ministry. And by God's grace, I pray that every one of you that are baptized today across all three of our services, my prayer is this will serve as a mental Ebenezer for you. And for the rest of your life, you'll drive by and you'll come in. Hopefully you'll keep coming in. But when you see this building, you'll be able to say that's where I was baptized. That's where I experienced the great work of God. Friends, many of you don't know this, but even when I'm in the men's bathroom, I remember this used to be my office. (laughs) But because of growth, I had to give it up. And now I try not to, to stay in there too long because that might be creepy. But I remember all that God has done even in this building in the life of the church, but He hasn't just done it in the life of the church. He's done it in my life. He's discipled me through it. He's multiplied faith into the lives of more and more people. When I go to the house that I grew up in, I remember I came to faith in Jesus Christ at a kitchen table in this room. And it reminds me that no matter how discouraged I might get, God worked to bring life into a dead man's soul. Keep moving. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't quit. And I ask you, do you have mental monuments that remind you of God's work of grace in your life? Do you have them? I'll tell you, we partake of one here often. Luke twenty-two nineteen tells us, we partake of the Lord's Supper in part for what? He says, Jesus took bread when he had given thanks. He broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. 
Friend, if you're sitting there and you're struggling and you're saying, I, oh God, man, he's worked so much in Steve's life. He hasn't done those things in my life. Friend, if you have nothing more than that, you've got a mental marker because you've got the gospel of Jesus Christ. People ask, why do you partake of the Lord's Supper so frequently here at Village Church? Because I want to remind you all the time that the gospel is enough. That this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ for you. And even if that's the one marker you have right now, which by God's grace in the future, he'll give you many more. If that's the one that you have, here's what you have in that marker. You have the confidence of Christ. Because so many of you are trying to earn confidence in your salvation. You're trying to live a life by which you can be confident through faith in Jesus Christ. Friend, that's not something you work to get. That's something that God has gifted you because Jesus is the one that paid the penalty, not you. It is Jesus who saves, not you. So if all that you have is a memory of the work of Jesus Christ, let that in this moment be a sufficient reminder. Like I said... If you follow the Lord and believers' baptism, you have that too. I really believe that for those being baptized today, that looking back 20, 30, maybe 40, 50 years from now, some of them aren't going to live that long, but, but some of them will. Not be, well, you guys will, I hope. All right? I hope you outlive me. You're, they're young in here today. But the fact is, my prayer is, is that this will be that mental marker where you will say, I remember when I was baptized. This is a step. Because you know, friends, the hardest step of faith you have to take is the next one. That's always going to be the hardest step. It's always harder to take one more step. But you need encouragement to take those steps. I'll tell you, I one time, I remember the first person that didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ when I was out evangelizing. I'll never forget it. Because up until that point, Everyone that I, I thought I was Billy Graham. I mean, I, just, I was just like, man, I was, I'm just the best. We're going to have a great awakening, and it's on me. All right? Everybody's getting saved. So I told people about Christ. They came to faith, and I remember I was out witnessing. It was a Friday night, and I went into this laundromat in the city that I was in, and I started to tell this one lady about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I could tell something's different here because she, she ain't buying it. <laughs> She's, uh, this isn't working out. And I remember I, I kept saying more and more, and I was just like trying so hard, and she just looked at me with more and more disdain. And of course, I don't know where the future took this lady, but I know that if, if it, heaven and hell was in my hands, oh boy, it didn't work out for her, because man, she just rejected the offer that I gave her that day. And I'll never forget that day. It's, I mean, it is etched in my memory for the rest of my life. I mean, I remember her face of disgust at me. And I remember because that was the day that God taught me, Steve, you're not the one saving them. Deception in sin is a real thing and salvation is of the Lord. It is not of me. Friends, you need those types of reminders in your life because both the stories of success and the stories of failure are going to be the stories of your discipleship and following Jesus Christ and growing in faith. And God is always so gracious to remind us through His Spirit. Friend, I love the fact that 
In John 14, 26, Jesus makes this promise. He says, when he leaves, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in Jesus' name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's a promise that God has given you, but here's the key. Holy Spirit's going to have a hard time reminding you of things that you don't know in the first place. Israel had to cross over the Jordan River to have memory of crossing over the Jordan River. You need to read the Word of God to have memories of the Word of God for the Holy Spirit to remind you of. And that's where a fatal flaw in so many people's discipleship is happening because God gives us these reminders so that we can build the faith that we need to take hold of his promises in our lives and those memories are not formed by accident. Are you pursuing a life in which you are forming memories of how God has worked on your behalf? Are you in the Word of God so that the Holy Spirit will have something to remind you of? Are you pursuing discipleship in ways that will build a lifestyle that creates memories of God's provision? Memories of God's interventions? Memories of God's gracious preventions? I tell you, I look back and there are some things that should have happened to me that didn't happen to me. And by God's grace, my life wasn't sunk over them. God's so provenient in His grace, but are you also paying attention to the patterns of growth and discipleship in your life? Can you look back and say, man, five years ago I was struggling with X, now I'm not struggling with X anymore, whatever that may be. Are you able to look and say, I can see patterns where my faith has grown over weeks, months, and years? Do you have patterns of repentance you can look back on? Because friend, you have to pursue that life or it's simply not going to happen. Israel had to cross the Jordan to have a memory of it. Because if you want the memories of God's work, friend, I will tell you, you have to walk into a life of working for the things of God. And I think some of you will hear this, and you might hear what I'm not saying. I do want to give one qualification. I rarely do this. When I was a teenager, I grew up in the church, and I'll be honest. I was, man, if you were, are ever looking for like a Sunday school guy... That's this guy. Man, I grew up in it. I, I knew every answer. I, 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 the, my Awana outfit was so filled with bling. Like, I mean, I was straight dripping, man. It was so much bling on my Awana vest, all right? And so I came to faith in Jesus Christ as a young man. And, and, and so when, when you come to faith in Jesus when you're younger, it, it, you, you don't really have a lot that you can think of to repent of. But I will tell you, I, I had to repent of my unbelief. I had to repent of real sin, and I did. But then as a teenager, I had a crisis. Because in the, the, the denomination that I grew up in, it seemed like back in the 80s and 90s, every evangelist used to be a heroin addict. All right, every single one of them was, was recovering from addiction. And so I got terrified because I was like, I gotta find some drugs. <laughs> 
because I, I need to, something to tell people. I, I was like, I don't have a testimony. Or I just, I, all I have is I was going to hell. Then my parents and my Sunday school teachers told me about Jesus Christ. And I was like, well, I like that guy. And so I've been following him ever since. That's Steve's story. But here's the deal. That is my story. And as I've aged, I've come to appreciate that more and more with every year that passes by. That I had parents that loved me to the extent that they put me into environments in the home and outside of the home where I heard the gospel all the time. Man, before I could even speak, I knew the name of Jesus Christ. And when I was 12 years old, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, it changed the direction of my life forever. Did I have sin that I needed to repent of? Absolutely. Were they obvious to everyone around me? Absolutely not. All right? Yes, God does save people from addiction. He does it every single day. He just didn't save me from that. And so some of you might be saying, my testimony... The story of how I came to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not spectacular, it's pretty mundane, but here's the deal, it's your story. And you have no idea how God is going to use your story in someone else's life to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. Whether it involves spectacular sins or whether it involved what the world might look at as respectable sins, heaven and hell stood in the balance for you. And if it had required drugs, I'd have been sunk anyway, because to this day, I don't know where they are. All right? It's just my life. All right? Number three this morning. You need to build a life that can show the next generation how God has worked. You need to build a life that can show the next generation how God has worked. First, I want you to look back at verse six. I skipped over it on purpose. It says that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in a time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then skip to verse 15. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing up the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of God came up out of the midst of the Jordan, the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all the banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Each generation must preserve memories for the next generation. Note in verse 6, he says, so that when your children ask. Then in verses 21 and 22, he wrote, so that you can tell your children when they ask, what do these stones mean? God placed an expectation that there would be questions from the next generation as to why such a placement of the stones needed to be there. 
Why would such a unique presentation need to exist? And God tells them through Joshua, it needs to exist so that faith will endure for generations to come. Because when you don't look back at what God has done, you will not trust Him for the future. The move of God in your life, friends, is never just for your life. There's always someone else that God wants the memory that you have of God working for their faith to grow, even for their faith to exist. Friends, God wants to work in your life personally so that God can work through your life into the lives of others. I believe this works in two ways. First, I think it's the most obvious application. You can see through this, a child that was not there was one day going to ask about the monument to his parents. And that's the primary thing that Joshua was talking about here. That's the primary means of discipleship that I believe God has given to his people is that Christian parents raise Christian children. That's the calling of God. Mothers and fathers, never look at the calling of God to disciple your children as a lesser calling. I believe it is a primary calling. You are the tool that God is going to use to pass faith on to the lives of your children. That's the direction that Scripture points us towards over and over and over. Therefore, that is a high calling. Parents have a responsibility to pass the memories of how God has worked to the next generation so that faith will endure for generations to come. Those stones were meant to be a tool of discipleship for the next generation. That's the way the text reads. That's why we have the Scriptures. Because we build our memory of what God has done, and then God has given us a tangible book by which we can pass on faith to the next generation by teaching it to the next generation. That is why you have those mental monuments that I was talking about. I love to tell stories. Spend any time with me, you're going to hear stories, both good stories, both bad stories. For some reason, God has not given me a filter by which I'm embarrassed by the bad ones. And if you're related to me, oh man, you're getting in most of them, all right? And they sometimes do get embarrassed by the stories that I tell. And I say, oh, I don't care. It's uh, the way that works with me. But I love to tell stories because the stories of my life are what made me who I am. And I will tell you, I am so grateful for the life God has given me. I tell people all the time, I wake up every day excited about how God's going to move today. I wake up excited every day as to what's going to happen with my wife and kids. I wake up every day excited what's going to happen in this church. I wake up every day excited about what's going to happen to you. Because by God's grace, I'm in a position where I get to hear a lot of it. And I know that sometimes I hear bad things from you, but I know because of the way God has moved through history that He's going to work it to His glory. I know that He is. I believe that He is. In Psalm 78, starting in verse 3, the text says, the psalmist writes, he says, things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide from the next generation, but tell to the coming generation 
The glorious deeds of the Lord in His might, the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded to our fathers to teach to their children. Why? That the next generation might know them, and children yet unborn. Now I want to pause there, rabbit trail. That's why I want abortion abolished, because there are children that haven't been born that we need to disciple. And i got to fight for their life before we disciple them. And arise and tell them to their children. Friends, we must disciple our families. But here's the deal. I don't think it's just limited to our families. I think there's a second application that you can make. The next generation also includes those outside of your family that are Christians, but also those outside of your families that aren't yet Christians. Because it is through your life in Christ that they may come to Christ by hearing about what God has done for you. Because when you pass on what God has done, you are able to pass on faith and what God can do in the lives of other people. You need to take up the responsibility to pass on faith in Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. Scholar Don Carson said this. He said, one generation believes the gospel. The next generation assumes the gospel. And the following generation denies the gospel. We must not take lightly our responsibility to tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must tell the story so that it is never just assumed. This is all the story of the gospel. I believe that. God worked through this nation to bring His Son And He's brought us to faith in His Son. And we must tell everybody about His Son and build our lives on faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, for generations to come. A few application points this morning. First, you need to enter environments so that you can know the works of God. You've got to proactively start entering some environments so that you will have works of God to be reminded of. Secondly, live in such a way as to have mental monuments of God's work in your life. Live in such a way that you need God to work in your life. Live in such a way that you're making disciples. Live in such a way that you're reading the Word of God. Live in such a way that you are saturating yourself in prayer. Third, teach the next generation the wonderful works of God because I don't want them to assume it or deny it. I want them to believe it. Fourthly, build a lifestyle where the memories of gospel work are always fresh. I don't want to have to live just on what God did 10, 20 years ago. I want to live on what God did today. I want to live what God's going to to do tomorrow. I want the memories to always be fresh, but I've got to pursue that through my everyday life. 